we get to introduce now Jordan Pelfrey, who's going to introduce our message. Jordan. Thank you. Thanks, Van. Um, just really quick as we get started here, could we just take a second and honor Van and Lori as well just for their, their leadership and vision over all these years? And said it first service, and I've said it a dozen times at least since I've been here, and I know many people in the room can agree, I wouldn't be where I'm at, my life wouldn't be the same without having met you guys, and I know hundreds of other people have the same story. So just so excited for what God has next for you guys. Super honored that I got to be part of it here now. Um, so we are going into the final week in our teaching series that we've been in for all of June. June has been rest month here at the church, both for the staff and the body. And so it's looked, made Sunday mornings look different. It's made our weeks look different. Hopefully it's made your weeks look a little bit different. <clears throat> and uh, one of the major differences is that we've been watching these video teachings on Sunday mornings from a pastor out of Portland named John Mark Comer. And we've been in a series on the practice of Sabbath. And the first three weeks we covered stop, rest, delight. And today we're moving into the final session on worship. And these are all the components that make up a Sabbath day. So uh, another thing that we've added this month is that after each message, we've been um, creating goals as, as a church, something that everybody can participate in during the week, as well as some reach exercises and so before we start the video, what we're going to do is give you about a minute to just share with somebody near you uh, how last week's goal went. And I'll read it here in a second. Um, but you'll each have, just find one person and you'll have about 30 seconds to share how your goal went. Here was last week's goal. Plan to try pleasure stacking one day this coming week. Put as many enjoyable activities in one day for you and your family as you reasonably can. Plan as few chores and tasks as possible on that day. Try to be present in the moment. So if you weren't here last week and didn't get the goal, if you're like me sometimes and you just totally forgot that there was a goal that we were trying to do, uh, what you should do for the next minute is just share with someone near you, what would a day full of delight and joy look like for you? What, what are the things that you would do? What are the things you would eat? Where are the places you would go? Those sort of things. But go ahead and we'll take a minute right now to share with somebody near you, um, how did you, how'd your goal go? We're about halfway done, so if the second person hasn't gotten to share yet, now would be a good time to let them start.
Let's take a couple seconds to wrap up. <clears throat> okay. Hopefully uh, there were some days of delight for you guys. For me, my family and I, we practice Sabbath every week. And uh, for me this week, delight looked like finishing a book that I've been working on for a couple months. I had less than 100 pages left to read it. So um, my day was just sitting on the couch and sitting outside while my kids played, reading as much as I could. So uh, with that being said, we're going to jump into today's teaching. It's the final installment on our Sabbath series on worship. Let's roll the film. What is your Sabbath like? Here's what Sunday is like for a lot of modern Western Christians. You stay up late on Saturday night watching a movie or TV or going to a party. You overeat, possibly overdrink. You wake up Sunday morning in a bit of a fugue and rush out the door to church in a hurry. That is, if we go to church, more and more people don't. After church, you go shopping or watch the game on TV or work around the house or in the yard. Maybe you get ahead on email and plan out your work week Introducing or you meal prep YouTube or you do homework or whatever. You then you watch another movie at night and go to bed too late. To clarify, that's not a Sabbath. That's what the late pastor Eugene Peterson called a bastard Sabbath, the unacknowledged offspring of the ancient practice from the way of Sabbath and the modern secular day off. It's what people in our church have taken to calling Sabbish, meaning kind of Sabbath, but not really. Because we've been teaching on and practicing Sabbath for so many years in our church, it's woven into the culture of our community. But as you can imagine, people are all different places in their practice. It's common to hear someone ask, how was your Sabbath? And then hear, oh, fine, I slept in, I read scripture for a while, it was quiet. Then I had to catch up on laundry, organize my garage, and work on my taxes. But then I had a great afternoon. I binged all of season three of whatever on the couch. It was, you know, Sabbath. How do we keep Sabbath from becoming Sabbath, from becoming just another activity on the weekend? As we've said through this entire practice, there are four movements to the Sabbath. Stop, rest, delight, and worship. In our final session, we come to what is arguably the most important of all four. The Sabbath is a day for worship. Now, where does this idea come from? Let's read one last time from Genesis 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. And so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Notice two things God did on the Sabbath. One, God blessed the seventh day. We covered that in the last session. The word blessed, or barak in Hebrew, can also be translated to make happy the Sabbath. It is a happy day. But secondly, God made it holy. I know holy is very religious sounding, but stay with me, because this is fascinating. In the ancient Near East, the gods were found in the world of space, not of time, just meaning they were found on a holy mountain or in a holy temple or in a holy cave. So you would expect God to make a holy place, but instead, God makes a holy day. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel called the Sabbath 
architecture in time and said, the Sabbaths are our great cathedrals because for this God, the one true creator God, the entire cosmos is his temple and there is nowhere he is not. So if you want to find this God, you don't need to climb a mountain or travel to a shrine. He's all around you. You just need to stop and rest and delight and come awake and alive to who he is. But what exactly does it mean to make a day holy? In Hebrew, the word holy is kadash, and it literally means unique or special or uncommon. Theological definition would be set aside for God's special purposes. We tend to think of holiness as a moral descriptor, as a way of saying something or someone is good or evil. And in a sense, it is. Contrary to our humanistic culture's view, goodness, or what the ancients called virtue, has always been a minority position in society as a whole. As Jesus said, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. The narrow way of Jesus is holy. It's uncommon goodness. But holiness isn't just a moral word. In the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, there are holy pots and holy pans and holy utensils for the tabernacle. Now, a fork or knife can't be good or evil, but it can be set apart for God's special purposes. In that case, just for worship in the temple and not used for family dinner on a Tuesday night. Growing up, I remember my grandparents had a set of fine china. My grandfather used to travel to Japan for work a few times a year, and over the years, he collected a beautiful set of high-quality Japanese china. It was kept in a special piece of furniture called a hutch with glass windows to display the plateware, and it was only brought out on special occasions, Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner or a celebration. Then they had a whole other set of plateware that was for everyday use, that was much cheaper, it was more hardy, it was easy to replace. The china was kadosh, it was holy. It was set apart for my family's special purposes, not used for everyday life. What my grandparents find china was to daily plateware, the Sabbath is to the rest of the week, holy, set apart. But the question is, for what? Or better said, for who? If your Bible is still open, turn over to Exodus chapter 16. In Exodus chapter 16, verse 23, Moses said to the people of Israel, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Note that phrase. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. So the people rested on the seventh day. Notice the phrase, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. That can be translated set apart for the Lord or dedicated to the Lord. The Sabbath is an entire day that is set aside, not just for stopping or resting or delighting, but for God himself. Put another way, 
it is a day for worship. Now, a lot of us hear the word worship and we think of worship by singing at church. And that is an example of worship. But worship is so much more. In the biblical sense, to worship at its most primal level is to orient and reorient your entire life around God, our creator and our center. It's to lay your entire life before him in love and to deepen your surrender to his love. One way to do that is through worship by singing. But there are so many more ways, giving our time, our resources, our attention, and our affection to God in prayer, yielding our will over to God in decision-making. Anything we do to center our life on God and to intentionally direct and redirect our heart in love toward His glory in the language of Scripture, just meaning His goodness and His beauty, anything we do like that is a form of worship. Yes, the Sabbath is a day to stop and rest and refill our tank. And yes, it's a day to delight and throw a party and celebrate and feast. But above all, it's to contemplate the good news that God has given his life to us in Jesus. And now it is our joy to give our life back to God in worship. It's a day to deepen our communion with the deepest reality there is. This is the final and most important movement of Sabbath, worship. And in my experience, there is a progression that I observe my own soul go through on the Sabbath. First, I stop. Then I begin to rest. I fall asleep. I have some time. My energy starts to come back. Then I begin to have enough energy in my tank to delight, to really just savor goodness. But as I delight, I almost can't help but burst into spontaneous worship and gratitude and praise and wonder and awe at the goodness of God. By the end of the Sabbath, I often find myself on a quiet walk or with my family just looking up the sky and quietly saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. Not because I'm Mr. Spiritual and certainly not because I'm a pastor, but because I made space for my soul to come back awake and alive to God's goodness. Ruth Haley Barton, in her chapter on Sabbath in her book, Sacred Rhythms, writes, I know what it's like to rest for hours until I have the energy to delight in something. Good food, a good book, a leisurely walk, a long-awaited conversation with someone I love. I know what it's like to feel joy and hope and peace flow back into my body and soul, though I had thought it might never come again. I know what it's like to see my home and my children through the Sabbath eyes of enjoyment. I know what it's like to have rest turn into delight and delight turn into gratitude and gratitude into worship. This is one of the many reasons that for most of you, Sunday is by far the best day to Sabbath. For over a thousand years, Sabbath and Sunday worship were synonymous. Only recently were they separated, but they were intended to go together. And the tragic way the Sabbath has been co-opted by the weekend from a day of worship to a day off goes to the heart of the matter. The Sabbath is holy, but we have to keep it holy. In the Ten Commandments, we read, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. The Jews don't talk about practicing the Sabbath, but keeping the Sabbath, meaning keeping it holy, keeping it set apart for God's special purposes. They call this sanctifying the day, treating it as special and unique and not like the other six. 
You see, we can either sanctify the Sabbath and keep it holy, or we can, in the language of Scripture, profane the Sabbath, meaning we can devalue it, dishonor it, treat it just like any other day for doing as we please. What about you? Do you keep the Sabbath holy, or do you profane it? What about me? Because ultimately, this isn't about a day, but about your life. Remember, all the practices of Jesus are a means to an end. The Sabbath is a day of worship by which we cultivate a spirit of worship in all the days of our lives. Is your life holy? Is your life set apart for and dedicated to God and his special purposes in the world? Is it a life of uncommon goodness? Or is your life, is mine, profane, common, following the broad path that is all around you? My aim here is not to guilt trip you into going to church more often or doing all sorts of spiritual disciplines on the Sabbath. It's just to drive home that the Sabbath is of life or death importance. Followers of Jesus, as you know, disagree about whether or not the Sabbath is still a binding command. Whoever is right, it's one of the 10 commandments and all of the commandments of scripture, but especially the 10, are put there to guard you from death and guide you into life. As Moses said of the commandments in Deuteronomy, I set before you this day life or death choose. Keeping the Sabbath is arguably just as important as not lying or stealing or killing. It is of life or death importance. Our culture is killing itself through overwork, overconsumption, overactivity. We are, as Neil Postman famously said, amusing ourselves to death. Few things are as desperately needed today as the recovery of the ancient practice of Sabbath. The Sabbath is a means by which we enter into what Jesus called the kingdom of God or the reign of God. It's a day when God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Theologians point out that the Sabbath is a signpost that looks both backward and forward in history. It's an aftertaste of the Garden of Eden and a foretaste of the New Jerusalem. When we gather for the Sabbath meal around a table with the multi-ethnic family of God, not just friends, but family, kin, brothers, sisters, bound together not by blood, but by allegiance to Jesus the Lord, our host and our honored guest, we eat the bread, we drink the wine, and we give thanks and sing and laugh and dance and celebrate and revel in the sense that all is well. When we do that, that is not just a sign of salvation, that is salvation. Here's Abraham Joshua Heschel again. Unless one learns how to relish the taste of Sabbath while still in this world, unless one is initiated into the appreciation of eternal life, one will be unable to enjoy the taste of eternity in the world to come. The essence of the world to come is Sabbath eternal, and the seventh day in time is an example of eternity. On the Sabbath, we are practicing eternity. And what makes the Sabbath such a joy isn't just good food around a table of family and friends and time off work to sleep and rest. It is God himself, the Trinitarian community at the center of the universe who radiates love and joy and peace. This is what we crave deep in our being. Whether we put the name God to our ache or misdiagnose our desire for God as a desire for someone or something else.
The danger of last session's teaching on the Sabbath as delight is, as with all ideas, the enemy is constantly at work to warp and corrupt good ideas from reality to parody. We can easily be confused in our hedonistic culture into kind of thinking that the Sabbath, rather than a Godward day of joy, is a self-centered day of pleasure. But anyone who has ever tasted of true delight and the joy of God as the creator intended for the creation, you know there is a chasm of difference between delight and pleasure or hedonism. Delight is meant to draw your whole being to God in joy. Pleasure is just trying to make your body feel good. You don't walk away from pleasure feeling profound gratitude. You just walk away wanting more pleasure. But there is a kind of delight that is virtually indistinguishable from worship. To end, the social critic and novelist David Foster Wallace, in a famous commencement address, said this about worship. In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type of thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, you will feel weak and afraid and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, and always on the verge of being found out, and so on. The question isn't, do you worship? It's who or what do you worship? And if we become like who or what we worship, as all the great wisdom traditions have long said, then what kind of person is your worship forming you into? You will worship something. You will orient your life around something. Put your faith, hope, and love onto something. Find your identity, community, and a sense of meaning and purpose and even morality in something. You will pursue it, sacrifice for it, discipline yourself for it, love it. The question is simply, what? And no matter how good or noble a pursuit is, the moment we elevate a created thing to a place reserved for the creator, we immediately ruin it and in doing so, ruin ourselves because nothing can bear up under the weight of our worship other than the Father and the Son and the Spirit. All week long, the false gods of the world lure us out of our circle around God in a kind of orbital decay, invisible yet pulling us down with power. They all promise us rest and a sense of joy, yet all they give is the weariness and emptiness of soul the Western world has honed to perfection. On the Sabbath, we come back to what the Quakers used to call our holy center in God. This point, deep within all of us who have been baptized, who are in Christ, where our spirit is in communion with his spirit, where we're not even sure who's who anymore, where we draw on the life at the heart of the Trinity itself and give our life back in return. The Sabbath is a day for worship.
Man, isn't that so good? Yeah, I love that. One of, the, one of the things he said in this video that I always love to think about in regards of Sabbath is he said it's practicing eternity. And in my mind, I, I view it as like a prophetic act every week of, of practicing the kingdom of God. What, will like, what was the garden like? What will, what will eternity with the Father look and feel like? And, and a lot of it really does come down to that, that what Sabbath is. Um, and, and as I watch it, I... I know for myself, one of the challenges in Sabbath is this worship piece. And especially when, you know, probably at the beginning of service when, or right before we watched the video, I said the topic is worship. Maybe your mind immediately went to what we did for 30 minutes before communion, where there was music and singing and, and all the guitars and stuff, which like John Mark said, that's a facet of worship, but that is not all of what worship is. And so I think some of the work for us as we uh, begin to participate and engage with Sabbath is what does worship look like beyond just singing along to some songs? It is that, but it's also, it, it's beyond that. Uh, to share just a few concluding thoughts uh, on, our, on our series, um, I wanted to tell you some stories. Uh, first, my family has been practicing Sabbath for a while now, almost a year. And I don't know that anything has, has changed my life in the recent years like the implementation of Sabbath has for me. Um, to start, I was very resistant to the idea of Sabbath. Last March 2022, I had kind of hit this breaking point in my life where I, I was just so consumed with trying to do more, both uh, at my job here, in my personal life, and um, it was just like constantly trying to achieve and perform and produce more and more and more, and I kind of hit a snapping point where it was like, okay, something needs to change. And that's when I got introduced to uh, John Mark Comer's book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and he has a podcast on it. And, and I, I just like devoured those things so quickly. And as I listened and read, I thought, this all sounds incredible, except for that Sabbath thing. And we, uh, there, there's some people on staff here, the, the Waldens, my friends, Chris and Anna, they have been practicing Sabbath for a long time. And I just remember as I would start to ask them more and more questions about what they do every week. And I just thought it sounded miserable. You know, like, you mean you just stay home all day and don't do anything? <laughs> you read and sit, like what? And it was like, and I would come up with, well, what if you wanted to go somewhere? What if you needed uh, something? Or, you know, like, what if you got invited to a party? Like different things like that, right? And, um, my initial understanding of Sabbath just sounded so legalistic and restrictive um, and binding, like, like just sounded negative. Like I didn't, why would I want that? But then I kind of hit a point where I thought, well, things aren't exactly going how I would like them in my life, so maybe I should try to do something different. And so my wife and I tried Sabbath a couple times and to my surprise, I found that when I did, it was rather than restrictive and binding, I found it to be liberating and life-giving. And, and I started to feel myself come alive again when I just felt kind of dead for so long. 
And so we've now been doing this for about a year, and we're, we are by no means perfect Sabbathers. Uh, we still miss weeks from time to time. In fact, just a couple months ago, there was a four-week span where we just, like, didn't Sabbath. We just, like, didn't even really talk about it. Like, it just, we just kind of fell back into doing life the way we had before. And at the end of the month, we were kind of like, why do we feel so exhausted and, and kind of just like at the end of our rope, oh, we didn't rest this month at all. And the way I describe it, you know, when I was uh, younger, like in college, I was a big soda drinker. Any Coca-Cola fans here? A couple, some of you, yeah. I was like three to four Cokes a day kind of guy. And it was like my main, my main drink. And then someone told me about this crazy new thing. I don't know if you've heard of it. Water? <laughs> yeah, you guys have experienced that? Uh, I just started drinking water and I kind of quit cold turkey from drinking soda. And, you know, three or four months into that of pretty much only drinking water, I thought it's probably safe for me to go back and try a Coke again. And I did it, and I couldn't even finish the first can that I tried to drink. You know, in my head, I was like, oh, this is going to taste so good. I miss it so much. It's going to be great. And then, like, I hated the bubbles. I hated the way it made my stomach feel. It didn't taste as good as I remember it tasting, and it was kind of weird. And then I was like, I'll just stick with water. <laughs> That's what that month off of Sabbath was like. It was like, oh, I for like, this is what I was living in. This isn't as good as my brain tells me it would be to just continuously work, continuously produce, continuously come up with something new or be busy or fill my schedule. It was like, I need, I need to go back to water. So, so we got back on track. And, and you know, we, we miss it sometimes. There, there are weeks where we have a Sabbath and we think that didn't feel very much like Sabbath at all. <laughs> um, there are times when it feels like, did we even worship during that? Or did, did we even enjoy it? You know, just so many different things. But I love that John Mark talks about Sabbath and, and other spiritual practices or disciplines like this. He says, we call them practices because we're practicing. It's not about performing perfectly, but it's, it's about doing the thing. And so that's brought great encouragement to me and, and my family as we've been doing it. But, but this practice of Sabbath, it, it's done so many things for us. It's, uh, it, it's, it's brought our family closer you know, we have a day every week where we are just going to be together. And that is like one of our primary objectives is like, we're gonna have fun together. We're gonna eat good food together. We're gonna play outside with our kids. We're gonna have quiet time and, and read together. And, and, and it's just been wonderful. Um, it's also, as parents, it's given Holly and I space to integrate conversations about God with our kids in a new way. That's been really cool and really powerful. We, you know, every, every evening when we start Sabbath and every morning when we have breakfast together, we light a candle on our table and we always ask my four-year-old Cecilia, why do we light this candle? And she's like, she's starting to get there. She's like, it has something to do with God being here or whatever. She already talks like a teenager. And, uh, but that's what we do. We have this candle that when we light it, it reminds us God is with us. This is a gift that he's given us. And, and it's not just us resting, but it's, it's him, like we are engaging with him as we rest. Uh, and it's given us just space to have really cool conversations like that with our kids. 
It's brought rest into our lives. And I think the most important thing is it's just revitalized my relationship with the Father in a way that I didn't even know that I could relate to him. And it's made me come alive to God again in a way that it, I just hadn't been in a long time. And also to add for anybody that this matters to, I can genuinely say that I am now more productive in my life than I was before when I was trying to just fit as much in as I could, um, not having good boundaries around my work life and, and when I would work and when I wouldn't work and things like that. And I was just always trying to do more. I somehow feel like I have more space, more energy and more focus to get to all those things that I feel like God has called me to do both professionally and in my family life and, and in side projects and things. And that, that's been really cool to be able to see that come to life as we've practiced Sabbath. Uh, just this week, my Holly texted me while I was at work and uh, our four-year-old Cecilia just randomly said to her, mommy, I can't wait for Sabbath. And that like to me is just so much of like the heart of this that it's like, it's a thing that we look forward to as a family, not a day to be dreaded or, oh, I can't be with my friends or we, we're not gonna go certain places or we can't go shopping. Or, but it's like, it's just a day of joy and delight for our family. Um, so as we, as we finish up, I'll say this. Sabbath is a gift from God for you. Any of you that are, are married or maybe anybody that like receives birthday gifts, can you think of like your favorite gift that you've ever gotten? Does that like come to mind? I was just thinking about it this week. My favorite wedding gift I got was my KitchenAid stand mixer. And I use it every week. Like I, like, and I've had it for like six years now. And I can't even think of another wedding gift that I've had that, that we still use or that has been as useful or has changed my life as much as this KitchenAid thing. And, and I think those are like the best gifts where it's the kind you want, it's the kind that you'll use, and, and they're like, um, and it's something that you need. And I think that's exactly what Sabbath is for us. It's, it's a gift from the Father, but it's a really good gift because it's the kind that, that we all need. In the series, John Mark said, uh, whether you choose it or not, Sabbath will find you. It's just part of how life works. But it, it's a thing that, that we need. Um, it's the kind of thing that we want, you know, whether we recognize it or not, like this type of rest, this life-giving space with God is something we all crave and desire. And it's something that we should use. Like it, it's such a valuable thing that the Father has given us. And so to end here, before we share our goal for this week, would you just, would you join me in, in doing this? Would you close your eyes with me just for a second? And just as your eyes are closed, just take inventory of what is life like right now? If you're someone who Sabbaths regularly, maybe think what was life before that? Does your schedule feel full all the time? You kind of constantly feel like you're running from one thing to the next, like the to-do list never runs out. Like there's always more you can do. There's always something else that you can add. There's never quite the time to, to sit down like, like you hope you could. 
It's never quite the time to have the intentional conversations you want to have with your kids or your spouse or your closest friends. But now take a moment and just imagine your life where you don't feel like you're at your wit's end every week, where it doesn't feel like you're always at the end of your rope. Imagine a life where that kind of like low-grade exhaustion that always catches up to you when you lay down to go to bed at night because you finally had a moment to stop. Imagine that just is gone. Or maybe like even worse, like that kind of like low-grade depression or anxiety that seems to just kind of hang over you. It just goes away. Imagine you don't dread Monday morning at work anymore. Imagine a world where you feel closer to friends and family than you have in a long time, and you feel like you found this new, revitalized relationship with the Father that you didn't even know you could have and that you've been longing for and, and dreaming of. Imagine the things that, that weigh you down from week to week and month to month suddenly don't feel so heavy. And on top of that, imagine that you Rather than trying to survive your week, you go into your week full of life and passion and energy, excited to take on whatever it is God has for you that week. And I, I think whatever you're feeling right there, I think that's what Sabbath produces in us. You can go ahead and open your eyes. Those are certainly a lot of major things that, that Sabbath has caused in my life to happen. And so if I could just leave you with one admonishment, it would be just try it. Like, if you haven't, you, we've done this whole thing for a month, if you, if you haven't stepped into it yet, I just encourage you, try it just for one day. I promise God will meet you in it. I promise it's worth it. Um, because the end is God. It's getting to know him better, becoming more like his son, living more like him. So uh, our goals for this week our, eight, our goal for this week, we've got it on the slide here behind me. Uh, our goal, try one to three spiritual disciplines or activities that are new to you. A few examples are journaling, 10 minutes in total silence, memorizing scripture, meditating on one verse. Try to set aside an hour on multiple days to repeat these new spiritual disciplines. Um, and... Feel free to take a picture of that if you want. It's also available on our website, vineyardnorthwest.com. And it's the, as you pull up the site, it's the very first thing that shows up on the page. You just click learn more about rest month on there. Uh, then we have a reach exercise for us. Uh, and here it is. Take a full 24 hours set aside for rest. And here are a couple pointers for that some helpful tips. I'm not gonna read through all of them. You can grab that picture. I'll smile for the photos that are being taken right now. And uh, again, these are all available on our website, vineyardnorthwest.com. And uh, you can just scroll through that page and it's got all the, the goals and reach act activities that we've had uh, all month. Um, but with that being said, could we have the prayer team come forward? And 
Uh, we're going to conclude our service now. So if you'd like to receive prayer for anything in your life, uh, we've got a bunch of people that will be up here that are more than happy and excited to pray with you and for you. If there's something that God's been speaking to you about within this series on Sabbath and about rest, I'd encourage you, come receive some prayer. Um, or if there's just anything going on in your life, anywhere that you feel like, I just want some, some God intervention here, come receive prayer. Otherwise, have an amazing week. Go in peace and favor, and we'll see you back here next Sunday.